broadcasting from the road here rather than from the EPR Creation Studio since uh, I'm on the road to uh, go to a wedding tonight. A great opportunity on the best best day of football so far this year to uh, do an immoral thing. Well, at least participate in something that should be immoral or should be should be socially unacceptable at this time of year. Anyhow, it's the Hot Takes podcast version of Doc Staples with or of Unconquered with Doc Staples. Jeez, I'm all all sort all out of sorts here, but not as out of sorts as Florida State was through most of the uh, game against Clemson. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, and by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. And we're bringing on a new sponsor. I'm very excited about this uh, This coming up uh, this week for the first time in quite a while. Somebody I, I really believe in what he has to offer. Uh, for those of you looking for home mortgage stuff, Justin Galloway from Benchmark Home Loans is a guy to call. He can do home loans in a variety of states. We're going to have a lot more about this once everything comes on board officially this week, but give everybody a heads up uh, in case you're starting to look into uh, relocating. Definitely worth rate shopping and all of that. And uh, and Justin is someone is a great person to uh, to talk to for that to make sure that uh, that you get the best possible deal and that you, not only that that you get taken through the process with the absolute best service uh, possible. So really thankful uh, to have that happening here soon. But uh, more information about that coming up on the next episode. This is going to be a pretty quick one because, again, I've, got a, I've actually got to suit up here real soon. And i uh, just going to go ahead and, and get through this. There's a lot to talk about in this. I, I mean, it's a good thing bye week's coming up just for, for the podcast because there's so much to break down here. I'm going to want to go through this entire uh, replay, do, you know, doing a breakdown on video and all of that for, for Patreon. But bottom line to me in this one is survive in advance. This is, you know, Florida State won with their B-minus game, maybe, C-plus game in this game. They did not play well in this game. And frankly, Clemson outplayed Florida State and really should have won the game. They, they got outplayed. They brought their, you know, C-plus, B-minus game again, and this time against a, a good football team in a very hostile environment and a proud football team with a lot of good athletes and a great defense, really good defense. And... They managed to find a way to win the football game. And that's something that really good teams find ways to win games where they didn't where they don't play well, where they get outplayed. And this team has done that now what three times this year, really. I mean, th- this team has yet to play a clean game, has yet to play well. I mean, the the Southern Miss game, I mean, you go back to my evaluation of that one. And what I said there is, look, this team just won. This team just scored 66 points, and they didn't even play well. Well, they have yet to play well this season. And they're 4-0 through a stretch that a lot of people thought they might go 2-2. And 3-1, and and most people from, you know, most Florida State fans, if you'd asked them at the beginning of the season, 3-1 and one at the end of this month, you take it or take it or leave it. Most folks are going to go ahead and take that 3-1 and one at the beginning of the year. Rolling the dice, that's a tough thing to do. But, and here I am, I'm watching uh, the end of the first half here 
I've got it on the background. Uh, Oregon just bludgeoning Colorado. I've got a gentleman's bet that that on the Inside Carolina Game Plan podcast at the end of that, we covered a little bit from this the other games this week, and I, I've got a gentleman's bet on this one that Oregon wins by 38 or more. Feeling pretty good about that. At, uh, com- coming close to the end, close to the end of the uh, second quarter here, but uh, they're just flat out classing a Colorado team that's not a very good team, but has played much better than uh, the sum of their parts so far against lesser competition in the season. Well, Florida State has not outplayed their level against good competition, and yet they're still winning because they've got some really good parts. And so far, Florida State, the, 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 the parts are greater than the, than the sum so far. The whole has not been greater than the parts to this point. And they're going to have to get some things together and, and figure some things out. The, the bye week couldn't come at a better time to regroup, try to get a little healthier. I mean, I've had a similar shoulder injury to what Jordan, Jordan Travis has, and, and there's only so much that's going to happen to that during the season. I mean, you, you can't really get that healthy because the moment you get hit and everything else, I mean, it's just you're, he's going to be battling that probably all season to some degree. But you're trying to get him healthier, and that, that can happen. You can get to where it's more manageable. Uh, but the bye week couldn't come at a better time as they need to evaluate some things personnel-wise. They need to get some guys back in terms of health uh, and figure out what their best matchups are. And and there's another touchdown by Oregon. Jeez, wow. Uh, but basically in this game, it, it did come down to, to one – a lot of the things that, that we covered in the uh, – in the the – game plan or the preview podcast, some of those things didn't really transpire because I thought Cabe Klubnick played better than, than I expected him to play. Uh, I, I think partly Florida State didn't get as much pressure on him as, as I expected uh, them to be able to do. I thought overall Clemson really schemed well to compensate for their lack of playmakers at wide receiver, and they managed to to squeeze as much blood out of that turnip as they could. And they were able to get some key runs and just basically – keep at it over the course of the game. And then Florida State missed too many opportunities on the offensive side of the ball. And we'll break that down just a little bit more in a, in a couple of minutes. But to make this a game that, that you know, Clemson really was in position to win. Nevertheless, the one thing that, that, that I did say that I think this game boiled down to, I think I did get this right. And that is ultimately it was the team with the playmakers, with the difference makers that was able to win. This game boiled down to Florida State had Keon Coleman. Florida State had... Johnny Wilson, Florida State had a couple, you know, had had a couple of those players on the defensive line that were able to make the difference when push came to shove. That was the difference in this game. You know, Johnny Wilson had some huge catches. That first one at the beginning of the of the uh, of the second half, long catch where he just ran right by, and and you know, you've got the big body put it on him and you got a 40 some yard catch to begin with. And, and they didn't make that pay off they, uh, for, for a touchdown, but they were able to get a, a field goal out of that drive and put themselves right back in position. Turned out to be pretty big. And then Keon Coleman, the two touchdowns that he had, including the game winner, which he just mossed a guy. I mean, I, I was sitting next to my wife on that one uh, at, in, in overtime. And when I saw them motion to that formation, you're in the 12 personnel, the motion, the back, back in the backfield. And I saw Clemson check to single high and I, I turned to her, I was like, well, that's, that's going top screen. They got the matchup they wanted. That should, that should score. And that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they wanted. They, got, they set up in that, in that formation and motioned to what they wanted to set up exactly that matchup. 
And they were able to do that a little bit in this game and take advantage of that. Now, the thing is, they were not as consistent in taking advantage of some of those matchups as you'd like to see. Clemson managed to win some of those. Clemson's corners, I think, are the best set of corners Florida State's going to play this year by a good bit, uh, at least until the playoff, and probably even within the playoff. I mean, those guys are really good. Uh, But there were opportunities that they had where guys had their hands on footballs, you know, making contested catches that they have made in the past. And they just didn't make the catch. That that was just the, the, the reality of it. So, you know, I, I thought overall uh, it boiled down, though, to the end, those guys making making the plays that they needed to make when the chips were down, and that was the difference in the ballgame. Now, let's talk about the offense, the Florida State offense versus the Clemson defense. What you're looking at there, first of all, I thought Clemson did a phenomenal job in terms of limiting Florida State's big plays. Everything was contested. There was nothing that were that, that was, with the exception of that one uh, Johnny post route, there was nothing where a guy was really running uncontested that Florida State was, where the ball was able to find it. Now, I thought Jordan Travis missed some opportunities in this one. I mean, you could go back and look at the one that Keon Coleman caught on that on that scramble drill. Coleman was open like two seconds before Travis was able to recognize it and get him the football. You get him the football earlier there, and he is running in space. And there have been some opportunities, and there were today, there were some opportunities for some some bigger plays that they just didn't they didn't hit. And and I th- I think Jordan I think Jordan's struggling a little bit. Uh, the numbers don't show it quite as much, but you know he I don't think he would be very happy with how he's played so far in the year, and. You know, there's been a lot of yards left on the on the table, just in terms of poor throws, poor location, uh, and then missing some reads here and there, missing being a little bit slow on some things. And there's still room to get better there. So, you add to that though that they still aren't getting the running game going enough, or not as much as they'd like. I mean, you look at the overall in this, and and you can see what Clemson was able to do here. Clemson was able to limit limit Florida State to 1.7 yards per carry in terms of sack-adjusted rush average. That's that's not great, right? Florida State with Benson and Hill and the rest needs to be averaging more than 1.4 yards per carry when handing the football off. But Trey Benson, seven carries for 25 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. Rodney Hill, three attempts for one yard, 0.3 yards per carry. Toafili, two carries for zero yards, zero per carry. And again, this is a game where, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Florida State misses Treshawn Ward. And they're going to have to figure out some solutions for that. But I also think that this, was, this game was a factor where Travis's legs were less, of a, less of, a, uh, of a threat in this one than I thought Florida State would make it. I thought Florida State would kind of force that issue a little bit more. And I think he's just more injured in that respect than... Uh, than what you'd like. They didn't, they didn't really want to put him at risk of them not having him in this game. Uh, and, and then the other thing is where they had some opportunities. They ran a number of read plays where Travis could pull it on the edge, and he didn't pull it because Clemson did a phenomenal job of always having a plus one in the box on the edge there who made it difficult, who made it complicated for the quarterback. And that's something that, that he needs to, or that they, that, that they need to have some answers to. But Clemson, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to cover this a little bit in the, in the recap. There are quite a few where it looks like it should be a poll because, you know, Clemson stopped it up pretty well on the front side. 
But if you look at it, at the time that the read is happening, they're slow playing it just right on the backside so that it's a give read. And there were some times where Florida State needed to have some some uh, built-in run counters for that to, to get Travis's legs involved and to maybe give Travis the, the, the go to, okay, pull it when it's muddy in, from, on that look the next time. And, you know, you're going to win your one-on-one with that guy. But maybe he's not going to win the one-on-one with that guy right now. And there were a couple opportunities where they got him on the edge on some, you know, RPOs with a slip and somebody ahead of him, you know, and, and he did not look comfortable tucking and running that. There are a couple where I, I was a little frustrated that he didn't just go ahead and tuck it, take the seven, eight, ten yards instead of trying to take the vertical to Johnny on, on, the, uh, on the outside when you, once you get on that edge. I understand wanting to take that vertical, though. He, Johnny has position and all of that, but Jordan's not made that throw very accurately so far in the season. And again, that was, a, that was a, I think, a big factor here. I mean, I talked in the, in the pregame that I thought I, you know, I said I thought that that Florida State would need Jordan Travis's legs in order to be able to to get the running game off the ground in this game, and they didn't get Jordan Travis's legs, and they weren't able to get the running game off the ground, and that was a big factor in what was a disjointed offensive performance in general from Florida State. And you know, right now Florida State's passing game is very big play oriented. They, you know, it is very much a lot of twelve personnel. They're doing a lot of stuff where there's two, uh, there's a there's a tight end attached or you know two H backs that are in the box. So two essentially tight ends in the box, and that's going to give you some favorable one on ones outside. A lot of teams against that look, against a tight tight look, especially with two H backs rather than two uh, rather than two tight. A lot of teams are going to check to cover one type stuff on that. They're, they're not going to go as much too high or, you know, some teams are going to check to uh, to a cover two type thing to cover two type look where you're going to have safeties over the top. So depending on what they what they check to, if they check to single high stuff, you're going to get great one on one matchups on the outside. And that's one of the reasons that Florida State checks to that. I mean, that's what they did in the in the final uh, the final play of the game on offense when they when they got the one on one to, to Keon Coleman. You look at that formation where you've got the the it's a two by two with two with, with with wings essentially. That two by two with wings, as soon as Clemson sees that they're trying to take away the run, they've got to get a plus one somewhere, and they're going to check to a single high. Well, that gives you that one on one. You need to win that one on one if they give it to you. And Florida State is taking the 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 approach that if you keep giving us that one on one, and you're giving us one on ones with Keon Coleman and with Johnny Wilson, we're going to win that eventually enough times that we're going to win the football game. It's the whole 80-20 philosophy. Like, look, if my guy, and, and so far Florida State's not been 80-20 with, even with those guys, but if my guy is going to come down with it 60% of the time and then the other 40% is either a uh, is either a incompletion or a pass interference or it's incomplete, that other 40%, it's one of those and almost never going to turn into a turnover for you because of the nature of the play. So, I mean, that ends up being higher percentage if you're able to do that. But they've not been quite at the percentage that they'd like to be on that, and they, they do need to improve on that a little bit. But that's one of those things that against good defenses, it's tough because it gives you an out against really good defenses. So that's something that's, that's one of the reasons why they keep doing this. You know, you keep getting a lot of questions of why do they keep throwing all those verticals? It's not actually the worst strategy in the world if you've got the kind of guys that they have on the outside. That's what it boils down to. 
Now, again, they need to execute that better, and I do think they need to have some counters for some for some other things on the inside that are that are going to be better to supplement that if they're not always winning on those. But I, I see why they're doing what they're doing. Now they're going to have some opportunities over the next few weeks to try to develop some of those other things. I mean, they were thrown right into the fire. I mean, LSU and Clemson in the first month, they had to hit the ground running and really didn't have a whole lot of time to spend developing or you know, working certain things out. They had to sort of hit fully formed and they scraped by. But again, you get to this stage of the season at 4-0 and you've set the table for really the rest of the season and put yourself in the, in the catbird seat for the ACC uh, to make it to the ACC championship game and to give yourself a legitimate chance, a real chance of making the college football playoff. You're going to have to get a lot better to have a chance of winning in the college football playoff, even the a semifinal, let alone the, the, the national title game. But you do feel like the, the parts, the pieces that you have might be good enough to get you to that point where you can win. They're not good enough right now to where they would win in that scenario, most likely. But you feel like there's still answers on this roster and, and a chance to get a good bit better. So, again, talked about why they're going with so much 12 personnel and, and how they're getting That's creating the one-on-one opportunities that they want on the outside. And again, you've just got to make those plays just a little more consistently than they have. And then once you start doing that, you start to get more and more, uh, just more and more dangerous. I do think, though, that the offense, really, they left a lot of plays on the field. I mean, you think about the, the, the drop by Biscuit, uh, the tight, that little tight end screen that they had set up for him. If you go back and you watch that replay, he's in a position where he's got probably eight, nine, ten yards initially. And if he breaks breaks a tackle or slips a tackle there with their, which there's a good chance of because of the size situation he could be running for a really long time on that play and it was just it was a bad drop and Keon and Johnny each had some contested drops where you expect them to come down with those footballs Johnny's going to drop one or two every so often anyway you don't expect Keon to have a couple of the ones that he had where he didn't come down with it and you know those are those are key plays that they just they were close on and they just didn't finish. And then Jordan Travis had had some some misses where if he puts a good ball on target, they're in position to to really do well. You, you Johnny's going to have to catch the ball a little better, Keon's going to have to catch it a little better, but Jordan's really got to find himself a little bit over the next couple weeks for this offense to really hit their stride because he's not been as efficient and you know, he's not hit his spots you think about like a pitcher missing in the strike zone and and he's had a few wild ones too where he's missed a lot in terms of accuracy and has not he's not been as accurate as what he needs to be in order for them to to have the success down the stretch that that they need to have especially once they start to play true playoff teams if they get to the college football playoff they're going to need that now on the other side of the ball Florida State defense, I I thought this was a very, very frustrating game to watch. This was one where, you know, I thought they did a pretty good job of limiting Clemson's running game early overall. I mean, you look at the the results here, and what do you – you've got 146 rushing yards, of which 
46 are on one play. So 41 carries for 146 yards, that's 40 carries for 100 yards. You'll take that on the day. Now, that's sack included, so you know you adjust for that. They had uh, 164 yards sack adjusted, 4.3 yards per carry, and that's with the 46-yarder. So you feel like you did pretty well against their backs, against Will Shipley, against Phil Maffa, and that's as good a pair of backs as, as you're probably going to play the rest of the year. Up, up until, again, the, the playoffs. So when I say the rest of the year for the rest of the way, I'm talking about regular season. So they, they did pretty well on that, but they still gave up too many opportunities and didn't find ways to get off the field. And really, it was, it was that that made this game so frustrating for anybody you know associated with Florida State who wanted that team to win. This is one of those places where that defense, they played, I mean, if you start to look at it, they played okay. I mean, again, gave up, what, 5.4 yards per play? That, that's in the realm of right around where I expected them to be. That, that's, I mean, that's, re- that's excellent against a, against a good offense. And Clemson's a good offense. They're not, they don't have the playmakers to be an elite offense, and that showed up, and that was really a big part of the difference in this game. But you give up 5.4 yards a play. You have, what, two sacks for, for nine yards. You've got five tackles for loss in, in the game. Or, or I'm sorry, you got three sacks for minus 22 yards. You got six tackles for loss for minus 28. You did pretty well in that, but you've got to find ways to get off the field. And that is the critical thing that they just were not able to do most of the way in this game. They didn't get enough pressure on the quarterback for significant chunks of the game, though, again, some of that is Clemson did a great job of staying in quick drop stuff, a lot of quick game, and they were efficient in what they did in their quick game. I actually gained more respect for Garrett Riley, who I already thought was a pretty good offensive coordinator, really good offensive coordinator. I gained more respect for him in this game because knowing what Clemson's limitations are offensively, personnel-wise, and knowing... What they're, what they're going against in terms of Florida State. They did a great job of, of using formation, motion, a lot of different things to keep Florida State off balance and to take advantage of some of Florida State's match cover rules. So they, you know, they, they knew that they'd have to scrape out ton, tough yards on the inside, and they had, uh, let's see, they gave it to the backs 28 times. So I was expecting about 30, so that's about right. 28 times they managed to get some runs from Klubnik as well who the guy actually in terms of straight speed runs maybe a little better than I thought but they knew they'd have to scrape out the tough yards in the running game and just stay ahead and stay ahead of leverage and they did a pretty good job of that on the on the day and when they got to third and seven third and eight they were able to 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 get some of those conversions with the quick passing game now that's the place where again Florida State's defense was really frustrating. Uh, and it wasn't just on third down, but also you know, in, in some of these other cases. They did a great job, like I said, of manipulating Florida State's match rules and just the way that, that FSU leverages certain things to where they were able to regain leverage. Uh, one of the main things is they were able to use trips or tray formation, so three receivers or, or, or a tight end and two receivers to one side. 
and they're then going to expect Florida State to play outside leverage on the outside man on that, and they're going to use the inside players to pull the supporting coverage because Florida State likes to funnel in those situations to an inside player. Clemson knows this, so they would go all, like, let's say trips all slants. And that outside slant, if you've got an, uh, the corner with outside leverage, if everybody is matching the player out, uh, that is over them, then that slant is going to come open pretty pretty nicely. Florida State didn't make the adjustments that I would like to see, at least in the first half. They weren't able to adjust to that, and they ke- they kept relying on the match situation where that corner with outside leverage is going to break on that and be able to get his hand in there and make it and, and break it up. Clemson executed it really well. Klubnik put it on t- on the body. Guys were able to make the catch and they kept getting these, you know, eight, nine yard completions that were, again, very frustrating to see and way too easy. They also used some follow concepts. So this is one of those where, you know, they hit, uh, a couple of Texas concepts where you've got an angle route from the back behind, say, a cross or something coming across on the outside, a dig, that sort of thing. Uh, one of them, the, the touchdown, you had what looked like an inside release. Maybe it was a inside, re- inside stem corner, I think was what it was. But what they're relying on is with the inside stem, the corner is going to release the outside receiver to the inside cover guy. So you're going to see that the... the, the linebacker carry that inside release and then they're going to have a second inside breaking route like that angle route from Shipley and Shipley then is going to be one-on-one with the corner coming from the outside and all he has to do is turn that that Texas route into that angle route and he's running away from coverage and it's right in front of the quarterback's face it's one of the easiest completions in football and they kept getting that sort of thing by using some of those follow concepts where they know that Florida State is going to match with this. They're going to carry the player who comes through that zone that way. We're going to put a second player into that zone that that player is going to vacate, and there's just not going to be somebody there. FSU is going to have to clean that up, and they're going to have to have answers for teams that do that coming up because everybody just saw what Clemson was able to do with, honestly, some lesser playmakers and some really good backs to take advantage of some of that in in the passing game. And uh, those free access inside breaking routes are just, it just makes it too easy for an opposing quarterback. And I think they're going to have to find ways. And I know Greg McElroy kept talking about Florida State playing man-to-man. Most of the time, they're not in true man. They're in cover seven. So you're playing outside leverage, or in some cases, they're playing some sort of robber coverage. Again, outside leverage and you're funneling. That can work really well, but you've also got to be able to do some inside leverage or you've got to be able to check if they're going to go with a trips type or tray type look. Then you outside leverage that outside guy and you solo him so that you can push that to the sideline and force them to beat you outside. And I think with Florida State's corners on their outside, they're going to have to do some of that. Just play outside leverage when they go trips or tray, play that, play that inside or play the inside leverage force them to beat you outside and force them to win on the verticals over the top that sort of thing out routes out breaking routes against guys with some good length and I think that's something that they're going to have to do a little bit better uh, Clemson also started having success with the counter uh, in the in the third quarter they kind of figured out a little bit with Florida State and they were able to they were able to get essentially Florida State usually spills the the counter play. And essentially what they were able to do is FSU was going to be 
pretty aggressive with that edge player. So usually the defensive end coming in and trying to hit the the puller, the first puller, hit him and ideally kind of hit him a wrong shoulder, but you hit him square and you try to force the running back to bounce. What Clemson did a great job of is essentially playing this for the spill and taking the player who's trying to spill and just pinning him inside. So essentially letting him run into wrong shoulder that and then just turning and pinning him inside and then they'd get the kick out on the on the second player on that on the outside that basically the player who's the contain for the fill or he's the fill against the uh, the sp- to clean up the spill they would then get that player blocked and then they were able to get some some running yardage so the, a nice running lane outside the pin and then you've got that additional uh kick out that they're able to to get kick out or lead that they're able to get some yardage on in the, in the third quarter and it started to look really concerning there because they had found something and they kept FSU kept overrunning essentially or over basically uh, overreaching the the spill and allowing that seam to develop and there was a really nice job by Clemson up front to figure to figure that out and get that to work and then Florida State first of all got the huge play by Deloach. Uh, on a on a key blitz, we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But then they also were able. The quarter actually stopped that, and they they basically cleaned that up at the quarter break. They were able to figure out, okay, look, they're hurting us with counter. You got to make sure you don't over you don't overrun this as the spiller. You got to take that on a little bit more square, and make sure that they have to bounce it instead of being able to tuck it up once you get pinned inside. So don't get washed on the spill. And then the other thing that they did is they blitzed a bunch more. They run blitzed more in the early fourth quarter, especially, but throughout the fourth quarter, and were able to to basically get some some stops, partly as a result of that. So did did do a good job of making some adjustments on the fly in the second half and into the fourth quarter. I thought that was overall pretty good from the defensive staff. I didn't think the overall plan was that great in terms of what they were allowing in coverage, knowing what Clemson's limitations are. Again, I don't think Clemson has the outside receivers or even the inside receivers to beat you over the top. To me, I felt the whole time you've got to go ahead and get aggressive with them and play some inside leverage, play some true man with those guys and force them to beat you on that stuff. And they didn't do that, and they gave up too much easy access inside leverage stuff, essentially playing over the top to not give up some of those big plays. And and I think that was a mistake. I do think, like I said, that they made some good adjustments in the second half, but I think that they could have, they could have had a better plan going in than they did. Now, of course, some key blitzes. They were very well prepared with some blitzes that hit home. And the most notable of those, of course, the strip sack scoop and score by Deloach, who not only got the strip sack, but also picked up the ball and scooped and scored. Pretty dang athletic play in a key moment for Florida State. And that, that really was the play that, that if you're going to highlight one thing, that changed the game. That's why Florida State was able to win this game. And, you know, that's just one where it was a nice, nice setup. Deloach did a great job of not telegraphing that in terms of the blitz. He, he did a great job of staying disciplined and trusting his speed to get there because he was coming essentially from the star position or from, from the nickel type position well outside because of the wide splits that Clemson likes to use. He came from well outside and 
essentially Phil Maffa, the back, had a a double read on as a pass protector. And he started at the at the inside backer, who I think they would have identified as the Mike. He started as an inside backer, and then his eyes have to work to the other backer. And from where he was, it didn't look like there was another backer. Basically, they had that backer way out there, so he he never found him. And ultimately, that backer came came completely free. And one of the things Deloach did a great job of is locating the football and putting his helmet right through the quarterback's throwing arm, which is where, where the ball was. And that's why that ball popped out. They coached that. He did exactly what he was coached to do. Also popped up immediately once he, once he felt the quarterback hit the ground and did a great job scooping and, and taking it to the house. So extra helmet stickers, player of the game to me. That's the guy that breaks the rock for you. In my in my view, I, I don't know who they had break the rock uh, as I record this, but that's the guy that I think you you have do it in this one because of that play. And then I think they got some help in overtime. You know, Clemson I think did a couple things in overtime that that helped them stop them. Uh, you know, I think there was a major mistake by Klubnik, not just handing it off on third and one. They called a a play that is just a package for them where. It's a. I think it was an inside zone or a lead, something like that. I think I, I need to go back and look at it, but I think it's an inside zone paired with the with their typical screen on the outside. And generally speaking, it's a box count. And if you have numbers on the outside, you make that throw. And Klubnik did the box count and did what the normal play is going to require there. But in that situation, that's got to be a handoff every time, just based on situation. He was not prepared for that situation as a what fourth fourth start of his career fifth start I guess fifth start of his career true sophomore made the mistake and you could see Dabo saying there was one yard hand the ball off that's what he's supposed to do there I also give the Clemson coaching staff some some blame on that because you need to be able to signal hand it when I was coaching in high school we had a a signal for the opposing or for the for our quarterbacks that basically said you know we're running our usual read play here so you know this is a pull you've got a pull read you've got a screen on the outside that that we had packaged with it but we had an additional signal that we would use as the final signal of what we signaled in if we meant hand this ball off or you're going to come unless you want to come and stand by me that was basically what the signal meant hand it off unless you want to come and stand by me on the sideline so they should have had that packaged in and should have prepared him for that so so yeah uh and then on the fourth down, they went right back to the well of what they kept doing throughout the game to get third down conversions with that easy access slant call. And I do think the corner did a better job of of staying tight on that and breaking through that. And he was actually going to be coming and ripping through from underneath there. It was possible he might have broken that ball up even if it had gotten there. A great throw, though, would have obviated it. They'd have gotten that conversion. But ultimately, uh, Farmer and... Uh, Peyton, I think, I think it was actually Peyton that got his hand on the ball, but but they combined uh, to get their hands up and knock that down. And again, that's why you recruit length on the on the defensive line. And, and Florida State is is very fortunate to have that have that done. So now I got a ton of questions, mailbag stuff. There's no way that I'm going to be able to get all of this in the. Uh, in the in the hot takes podcast, and some of these I'll probably want to take a second crack at, even after if I do t- uh, touch on them just briefly now, because I- I'm going to need to take a closer look at some of this stuff. Uh, I was only able to watch it, you know, two or three times for almost every play the first time through, but uh, 
wasn't able to, to really digest everything this time through. So I will touch on a couple things, uh, and then we'll revisit some of this in the uh, in the update later this week, probably on Tuesday, uh, probably release on Tuesday, maybe maybe Wednesday since it's a bye week. Uh, but uh, first questions from Cardinals. Why didn't FSU run Travis more? Is it the injury? Is he just try? Uh, is was he just trying to hit on too many big plays? I think it was a combination of things. Uh, so number one, I do think the injury was a factor in the game plan. Uh, I, it was obvious that Jordan Travis was very uncomfortable out there with that shoulder and did not want to take contact. You could see it dangling at times where he just you know didn't didn't feel good, and so you don't want to do it too much. And they did run him a couple times when. They absolutely needed it. Uh, but the bigger thing is, in the read game, I thought Clemson did a really good job of handling the backside in ways to present a give read to Jordan Travis to make sure that he handed it off. So if, if we go back, and I'll, I'll show this on, on some film breakdowns, if you go back and you take a look at this, over and over and over again, They've got a guy on the backside, maybe an extra guy walking down as a safety. Sometimes it's the backer. Sometimes there, there's there's pretty much always an extra guy on the backside who is there as an additional guy to muddy that read or to just make it into a into a give read for Jordan Travis. And they did a great job of making sure that they did that. And that means you'd better be confident that you're going to hold up on the front side. And they really did a good job of that as well. They they were they were committed to take away the run game, and to take away Jordan Travis's legs. And they did that about as well as any defense in the country could. So first of all, with their linebackers, there are very few teams in the country that are going to be able to, for example, have a guy run stride for stride down the sideline on a, on a wheel route with Jaheim Bell and not, gain, not give up ground as a linebacker. Clemson might be one of two or three teams in the country that has the personnel to do that. LSU, by the way, is one of the other ones. But they they took advantage of some of their their personnel with their safeties and how much range they have and their linebackers to be able to do some of that. And so basically, if you're Florida State, that means that the read aspect of it kind of gets wiped out. They were able to game you into constantly turning those reads into regular run plays. So for Florida State, that means you have to start doing some other things if you want to get the quarterback's legs involved. And they did a little bit of that. They They had some of the some of the uh, the pull, the called polls that you're going to get like a, a little slip with the H out leading the, the quarterback, a couple of the called polls with some RPO stuff downfield. And ultimately, those just didn't turn into runs except for, I think, one time. A couple of them probably could have, and Jordan a couple times tried to take the vertical on the outside there, where I, I think a couple times he might have been better off trying to run it. But uh, But for the most part, that's why that all worked that way. All right. Next question, uh, what's up with our running game? Is it blocking or backs not hitting the holes? Looks like a lot of dancing. So I'm going to have to address this more with film, but it's complicated. So one time it's one lineman missing something. The next time it's some, the back missing the seam. Next time it's something else. I think they've just got to let it gel a little bit. And, and once they get things moving and they kind of figure out where they want guys, it's going to be a little better. Now, one thing I do think they need to really examine, I think they need to, to, especially once Robert Scott is is healthy, and he may be healthy enough to play after the bye, but once you've got a healthy Robert Scott back, I think you 
you need to seriously consider what you're doing at the right tackle spot. So Byers is a really good athlete. He's maybe the best overall offensive lineman on, on the team at this point. And he's going to play in the NFL. I don't think he's a right tackle. I think he's a guard. And, you know, I think he's, I mean, for a guy that that's not his natural position, he's a really good right tackle. But he had his hands full today. And, and the last couple of weeks, Byers has had some misses and some mistakes and just some missed blocks in the run game that have that have stood out to me at different points. What I'd like to see, and I think your best offensive line lineup right now might be Byers at 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 guard and then Bless Harris and Robert Scott at the two tackles. Because I think that allows you to use the the quickness and the uh, the the power that Byers brings to the table, and have some of the advantages from those two tackles. I think that might be your best lineup. I think coming out of the bye, that if if you've got a healthy Robert Scott or you know whatever, whenever this starts to come around, I think you've got to start considering that as a possibility, and you might want to give him some reps at, at guard in practice over the uh, over the break. So. That's one thing I think they should examine. Um, last one I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, for the present because these other ones I think I'm gonna have to address with film. Uh, this is from Prince. Uh, do we have slot receivers? Destin Hill, Winston Wright. What's the deal? So, yeah, good question. I do think you know we did expect this to be a 12 personnel team. I said that as soon as they got Jaheim Bell. It was like, I think this is going to be a 12 personnel primary team. You're going to see a lot less 11 personnel, three receivers with this team. You're going to see a lot of 12. You're going to see some 21, but you're not going to see as much 11 just because they, they can go big and force defenses to match up with that big personnel. And then that takes that extra defensive back off the field. And you feel like you've got some mismatches that are going to develop when, when, when you keep them big. And I thought that's what they wanted in this game. I think they felt like Clemson's strength was their secondary, and I think they thought they could get the more favorable matchups with the big personnel and forcing Clemson to focus on stopping the run and getting one-on-ones with those outside corners and take the safeties essentially out of play in the, in the pass coverage because the strength of Clemson's defense really is the two backers and the two safeties up the middle – they thought, I think, that they could get favorable one-on-ones with Wilson and with Coleman and take the safeties out of it by going bigger. And that also gives you the ability to do more in terms of protection, to chip on the edges and and all of that. So this was one of those where they're going to take advantage of the outside and they're going to rely on Clemson trying to get more guys in the box against the big lineup. And ultimately, the returns on that were mixed. So And partly because they weren't able to take advantage of the one-on-ones, I think, as well as they'd hoped. Partly because Jordan Travis didn't put all of those throws on target. And then other, there were a couple others where they, they, didn't get, they didn't come down with a couple of the contested catches that those guys make day in, day out in practice. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's it for, for now. I'm going through some of my in-game notes. Uh, before we go, yeah, the execution on that trick play punt return. They had a nice trick play on where, the, you know, Coleman went to the opposite side. The whole design there was for Toa Feely to leak and pick up the ball off the ground and then potentially have a wide open field there. Clemson's punter just hit it too close to the sideline and hit it too far, and they weren't able to end up doing it. Uh, 
basically better execution from the punt team kept them from being able to, to take advantage of that. But they've done it before with some success and, and got close again. Um, yeah, beyond that, I think, again, the takeaway here is survive in advance and really good teams are able to win with their B and C game against other good teams. And that's a sign of, of a healthy culture. That's a sign of a team that is a real contender. When you win this kind of game on hostile soil against a team like a Clemson, when you don't actually play well, that bodes well for the future. But now you're going to have to get a lot of improvement to be able to play better for when you're going to play teams that, that still could beat you. And again, moving forward, you've got the bye. Then from the bye, you, you're going to go into the, uh, the Virginia Tech game. Virginia Tech is a bad football team this year. Then you've got a Syracuse team that's had a lot of success. You've got Duke who beat this Clemson team, and that's a good Duke team. And then Wake Forest and in, in, in a struggling pit. So, you know, you got a couple games here that you, you still should have some personnel advantages. That Syracuse and Duke game, those are not walkovers. But you feel like you should be able to win each of these games going into then that big tilt November 11th with Miami. And I think that's, that's the next one that you, you know, kind of have circled on your calendar. Even though, again, like I said, Duke is a team you're going to have to respect. I think Syracuse is a team that if you, if you lay a D game out there, they're, they're, that's a team that's going to beat you. At this point, from this point forward, the remainder of, you know, the next six weeks or so, is all about getting better day-to-day and improving what you do, not worrying about whether you beat that team by this much or whatever, or if that team can actually hang with you on the field. It's about getting better day-to-day at what they need to get better at so that they can actually be good enough when the end of the year comes and when some of these other teams come up that they're going to have to play. They have to keep getting better. But this team, the good thing is, this team has a much higher ceiling than they've shown so far. And if they hit that ceiling, well... They could be. They could. They could make some waves even in, into the playoff. Uh, they just have a long way to go to get there. This has been the Unconquered Podcast, or better yet, Unconquered with Doc Staples Hot Takes Edition. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at shenrealestate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, garage makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.